not, this is just Robert's words, what God has told him. This is not from commentaries or anything. This is strictly what God told Robert. You're welcome to argue if you wish. I don't care. Because I'm not going to argue with you. I'll let you talk all day long, but I'm not going to argue with you. Any prayer request? Like I said, she her, she had her surgery last week, and she's going to be out of work for a month. Let's remember this. It's first stage breast cancer. They my mother and two of my sisters, and this time last year, my wife had a scare. And she don't even smoke cigarettes. She don't do right. none of that. I mean, the worst, the only thing she really does is drink wine, but I don't think that causes breast cancer. I don't know. Actually, they say wine's good for you. But, um I think if you're going to drink wine, you can get the non-alcoholic, my personal opinion. I like wine. I like the taste of wine. I always have. I don't drink it anymore. I have tried the non-alcoholic. I may go do that a little bit more. because That's the unfermented grape, correct? Yes. It's a little bit. It, it, the alcohol has either been removed or it has never allowed to have alcohol in it. Uh, the one I drank had like 0.04% alcohol, which is about the same level of a ripe banana. A ripe banana, as it gets ripe, any fruit will ferment and have alcohol in it. But most of them around 0 0.04, 0 0.02, somewhere in that line. So if you can, if you want, why, don't smell it, because, man, it smells nasty. I'll be <laughs> honest with you. But it tastes great. I had some not too long ago. Why sniff it between it and just grape juice? Uh, the grape juice is not allowed to do any fermentation, and it's just grape juice. It's just squeezed grapes. The The sugar has been allowed to ferment a little bit, but not to the point with its alcohol. So it's give, it gives it a little bit better taste. You can drink grape juice. <laughs> to me, I think it's about the same, but when I get tired, I, if I can find a, a grape soda, uh, this sounds weird. My wife... <laughs> She doesn't understand it. I don't understand it. But if I get really, really tired, I can drink a grape soda, and I'll have the energy for, you know. No, because I drink uh, other drinks that's got sugar, and it don't work that way. It's the, it's the grapes. The grapes gives me energy. So maybe I should switch from uh, Mountain Dews to Grape Knee High. <laughs> there you go, I haven't. I don't even know if they make knee highs anymore. <laughs> okay. I mean, coolers that with the little bottle thing that you open on the side. Right. They have them in those kind of stores. Any other prayer requests before we go to the Lord? I do. I have a grandson who's uh, he's been into drugs before. Yes. Uh, he's even been in jail before, but he got out. Uh, he gave his heart to the Lord for almost three years. He he did fabulous, got him a job, uh, was just doing really good. And then about a month ago, we didn't hear from him. And over the week, I've heard that he got fired from his job, have no idea where he is, where he's living. He, his phone went dead. And made a payment is what I'm assuming and made his phone payment. I uh, just don't know where he is at this point. Let's remember this. So God knows. God knows where he is. And I'm trying to be praying. Lord, you know where he is. Touch his heart again. Yeah. You know? I mean, we 
thought he had we thought he completely recovered from from what he was into. I don't know if he got mixed up with the wrong crowd. A lot of times that uh, happens. I mean he well, that's the situation. Our next door neighbor's the same way. Uh he's great. He's a good kid. I've known him since he was about twelve and he gave his heart to the Lord a few years ago, and then he fell back into the old ways, and he's in and out of jail and on drugs. And But the funny thing is, every time he sees me, no matter how high he is, he always stops and says, Mr. Sapp, how are you today? I'm fine, Brandon, yourself? So remember my next-door neighbor, his name's Brandon. He's a good kid. He really is. He just... He, is a good kid, you know? And I've tried everything I can think of, and maybe that's the problem. I'm trying. I'm not letting God direct me. But, uh, yeah, my son and I, we can both walk up to him. He's a high as a He was out arguing with his mailbox one day. I walked my granddaughter up to the bus stop. He was out arguing with his mailbox at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning. Brandon, you know, you know that's your mailbox, right? Yes, Mr. Sapp. Go, go sleep it off, brother. Just go home, sleep it off. It'll be fine. And he went home. But, yeah, yeah I don't know. That kind of stuff gets a hold of people. Any others? America. Yes, definitely. Absolutely. And Israel. And Turkey and Syria. They had another nasty earthquake this past week. And, uh, yes. Four people right there are going to lose. That's hell Mm-hmm. Well, I, and it's only going to get worse, I'm afraid. I haven't heard anything lately of, of uh, the people that are trying, you know, trying, trying to get rid of Ayatollah. I haven't heard any more, but I know the last time I did hear that the protest was moving quite rapidly, and it was now centered around the young people. The young people have banded together and have formed one massive youth group and they're in the streets chanting down with the Ayatollah and uh, remove the Ayatollah. So I don't know where it's at. I haven't heard. I do know that Iran enriched, I heard, that they enriched some of the uranium up to like 85%. Um, Benjamin is in charge of Israel as the prime minister, and he's always promised that Iran would never be a nuclear power. So... They're getting closer and closer to being a nuclear power. It's going to be interesting to see what Israel does. I would not want to be in Iran right now, to be honest with you. Right. China will behave themselves. I've always felt that China would not behave themselves. No, China's definitely going to be one of the major players. Uh, oh, yeah. As we studied in Revelation just a few months ago, and then several years ago here in Sunday school, uh, China's going to be one of the major players. And I'll be honest with you, I think they're making some moves. I really think they're making some moves. Well, they're pushing us into a corner in Taiwan. So I don't know how, how it's all going to play, but yeah. And I'll be honest with you, you know, we just a few, about a month ago, we saw the spy balloons fly over the United States. I'm not so sure it was China. I think it was another country trying to... I think they were behind it, but I think they're... I don't. They're financing other things. I think it was Russia trying to get us into a war with China. 
Well, China is financing Russia only to a point where Russia gets into trouble. China wants to be the major player in Europe. Yeah. Russia wants to be the major player. They're playing against each other. Right. It wouldn't surprise me if we're not being played ourselves. Oh, we definitely are. I just think they're going to... Nope. I think they'll try to take over each other. I, I, I see it as Germany and, and Japan in World War II. They didn't join forces. Hitler was mad at Japan for bombing us in Pearl Harbor because he didn't want us in the war at that time. He knew he would be in trouble if U.S. jumped into the war at that time. And I'm, I think that Russia and China are still, I think they're fighting against each other, but they're trying to sucker each other. Germany had a, a contingent in Russia going, hey, man, we're not going to attack. We want we want to sign a peace treaty, just as Japan had a contingent in Washington going, we're not going to do nothing. We want a peace treaty. And then, of course, while our attention is diverted, while Russia's attention was diverted, Germany was making moves, so was Japan. That's the way I see it. I may be wrong. Yes. But isn't Russia the one that comes out of the door? Yes. Fights into but Israel is the yes, uh, you know he, he is Gog, Magog is China. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so I, I don't see. I think that they will. I don't see that them joining forces. I see them fighting along the same lines to try to eliminate Israel. I believe that's why Ukraine is being trying to be overrun. He's well, wanting. Uh, he's wanting a direct line. But those two. Russia's to me is like the little kids on the block. Mm -hmm. The big, big kids. Russia's the Russia's the bully who wants to be. He wants seen. to own it all. China's the little one that will go in and bully, but he wants. He don't want nobody to know he's doing the bullying. He wants to you sneak know, in. He wants to sneak in. Yeah, right. that's sort of those those two right. for me. And it's going to be interesting. If you're a Christian, it should be exciting. If you're a, if you're a sinner, you should be scared. Be honest with you, because let's face it, the end is coming. Absolutely. Very quickly, the end is coming. Did you hear about finding like the Temple Mount and all that? I've been following a lot of that. Um, it's interesting though that they're finding a lot more here in Israel. Just recently, they found an inscription that they they literally believe it went back to King David. Up until then, they was kind of a, a school of thought saying that David was not a real person. He was kind of a compilation of various other leaders. But now they're finding, I, I won't, it wasn't orders. It was like a grocery list or an inventory from King David. So it's interesting to see. Uh, it, Egypt's finding a lot of new archaeological discoveries and, and exciting things. So there's signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. And we're seeing it. Uh, we're seeing it play out. It's it's wonderful. But again, if you're a Christian, you should be excited. If you're a sinner, you should be very scared of what's going on. Any other prayer requests? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house to worship, to praise, and to honor your name. Lord, we ask that you'll move and that you'll touch, Lord, that you'll lift us up, Lord, into your bosom. 
Lord, that you'll wrap your arms around us, Lord, and keep us safe. Lord, we ask that you'll touch the Lord those with breast cancer, Lord, for other cancers, with other sicknesses. We ask, Lord, that you'll move and touch, Lord, heal their bodies. You said by your stripes we are healed. We stand on that scripture. God, we ask that you'll move and that you'll anoint my lips as I endeavor to bring forth your message. Lord, anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. In Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. We are in Habakkuk chapter 1, and we are in verse 4, I believe. Is it 6? Did we go to... See, I've been out for a while. Uh, just start with six. Let's start with six. That's, that's what, what I thought. We yeah. had just turned it. Yeah, that's okay. the top of the page. So. For lo, I raise up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, which shall march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not theirs. Now, we know that Habakkuk was a prophet, and his prophecy was concerning what was taking place in in and around Judah, Israel, Nineveh. And we see that he's, I won't say he's arguing with God, but he's questioning God's actions. How many of us has done that? I think we all have. I think we're all guilty. That's the reason why I love studying Habakkuk, because, hey, it's us. Why, Lord? Why? I mean, we see Habakkuk even asking the questions, you know, why is the why is the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer? Why does your people suffer, but, you know, the ungodly doesn't? We've all, I think, went there. I think we've all asked those questions. And now we're looking at what he's, God's telling him, I'll raise up the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans was and always will be the enemy. And he's saying, I'm going to raise them up and I'm going to let them take over the dwelling places that's not theirs. Habakkuk and the people of Israel was looking to their government and to internal fixes, if you will. They was looking to the political parties. Hello, that's where we're at now. Because every time you, like your phone, they had little notifications on your phone. Oh, the government will give you such and such an amount of money. Oh, the government will give you this and that and the other, this, this, that and the other, this. All you got to do is click. Now, I'm not going to get into politics, but there is a sign right above where I live that says uh, for a person, and I'm not going to tell you what person that is, that he's actually running, so that lets out Nikki Haley, but he's running for president in 2024. And this sign says, that person's name, Save America. He... And Nikki Haley and none of the other political candidates can save America. God is the only one. God is the only one. And we should be looking to him, to the author and the finisher of our faith. We put a lot of emphasis on who's in the Oval Office. I personally believe that we should remove everyone from the Oval Office, and let's just try it without them for it a while. Be nice. <laughs> we we've gotten ourselves in this mess because we had somebody in the Oval Office. So why don't we remove them and see if we can do better? But that yeah, you know, that's a tongue-in-cheek joke. Until we turn our face towards God. Until we turn our face to God, we're not going to get any better. 
And that's what the minor prophets and the major prophets was trying to tell Israel, trying to tell Judah, trying to tell the world. Until you come back fully to God, you're never going to get beyond this point. Albert Einstein said doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result is a clear sign of insanity. We're doing the same things over and over again. We either elect the Republicans or we elect the Democrats. We elect the Democrats or we elect the Republicans, and we expect it to be different each and every time. It's not going to be different until we turn our hearts back to God. Habakkuk and others was looking for an internal fix, but God's ways are not man's ways. God was looking at a bigger, bigger picture. He was looking internationally. God doesn't always work the way we think he should. As a matter of fact, he rarely works the way we think he should. He tells Habakkuk that he's going to bring the Chaldeans or the Babylonians into the picture to bring the inhabitants of Israel and Judah in line. God will allow the Chaldeans to take over the land of Israel and Judah and live in the houses that was built for those people of Israel and Judah. My dad says always that Babylon was God's whip. And he used Babylon to whip Israel and Judah into position and into place. And then Babylon fell. And he used Rome as the whip. And then Rome fell to a point uh, again, we still use a lot of Roman ways, so they're not fully fallen yet, in my personal opinion, and I think I can prove it scripturally even, but they're still around. We still use a lot of Roman culture and a Roman mathematics and a Roman government, so they've never truly fallen completely. But he used them to a point, and then he moved on to another nation, and then he moved on to another nation, and guess what? He used America as a whip. But let's look at history. How many countries God used as a whip is still around? America, Britain. There's a handful, but the big boys, the big players, the Romans and the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they're gone as a whole. What's going to happen to America? They're going to be gone. Are we going to get our act together and look up to heaven and say, God, forgive us? Or are we going to go by the way of the Babylonians? We think that our military might and our strength and our whatever is going to carry us. We studied that uh, the Medes and the Persians took over Nineveh, but Nineveh believed that they were impregnable. They believed that they were impenetrable and they were indestructible because of their military might and their walls. They failed. America is to their point. We believe we are indestructible. We are 10 foot tall and bulletproof. He's trying to get our attention, and we're not paying attention. We are not indestructible. I love this country. Don't get me wrong. I do. I love this country. My dad was a World War II veteran. My son was a veteran of Iraq. And, you know, I've got military family. My One of my uncles was in Nam. One of my other uncles was in Korea. Well, two of my uncles was in Korea that I can remember. I had a great uncle in World War II. I had a grandfather that was right at the end of World War I. I can trace my family lineage all the way back through all of the wars. I mean, I had, I had a great, 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 great uncle, however many ago it was, that fought at King's Mountain. 
and crossed the river at Cowan's Ford, just right over the road here a piece. I know Cowan's Ford well. <laughs> I do too, unfortunately, from the other side. But I've had I can trace my family through all kinds of major battles and wars. So I am patriotic, but I do believe that patriotism can take the place of God if we allow him. And it just becomes genialistic. We are patriots because we want to be patriots. We're not patriots because we should be. But we, we wear the flags and we talk the talk just to make ourselves sound good. I love this country, but I can see this country is going away that this country should have never went. This is not the country I grew up in. Absolutely. And this is not the country I want my grandchildren to be raised in. And I've got eight grandkids. I don't want to see them being raised in this culture and this uh, this ridiculous ideology where good is bad and bad is good. Remember, the Bible says we'll get to a place where evil is called good. We're there. And it's only going to get worse if we do not turn back to God. They are terrible and dreadful. Verse 7. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. God describes the Chaldeans as terrible and dreadful. That should say a lot to the nature of the Chaldeans, how they fought wars. God describes the Babylonians in Jeremiah 5 and 15. Lo, I will bring a nation upon you from afar. O house of Israel, saith the Lord. It is a mighty nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language thou knowest not, neither understandest what they say. Their quiver is an open sepulcher. They are all mighty men, and they shall eat up thine harvest and thy bread, which thy sons and thy daughters should eat. They shall eat up thy flocks and thine herds. They shall eat up thy vines and thy fig trees. They shall improvise the fenced cities wherein thou trustest with the sword. They basically wrote their own laws and rules, which is evident by the statement, their judgment and their dignity shall proceed of themselves. They become a major force and at one time was the superpower of that day. They were the baddest of the bad. And when you looked up and you saw the Babylonian army coming, you was like, oh, man, this is going to be a terrible day. That when you saw them, it was not good. It wasn't because they was rushing in to help you. Now, when America, just a decade, two decades, just a few years ago, if you will, when Turkey and Syria would have an earthquake, we was the first ones in the door. Not because we was trying to overthrow, but because we were Americans and we was there to help. We destroyed two cities in Japan with the atomic bombs. We rebuilt those cities. We rebuilt that country bigger and better. We destroyed Germany. We rebuilt Germany bigger and better. Where are we? Well, we still rush in. As we still rush in. Still we're still the first ones in. But eventually we'll quit doing that. And I think that's... I think that's what has kept the United States I agree. as an empowered nation 
and the spirit of the Lord still ruling in this yeah, country. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I do believe in the remnant of the Christians that are here, but as the pastor has said the multiple last few Sundays, America is one of the biggest mission fields now in the world, and other countries are sending missionaries to America to lead us to God. That's a shame and a slap in our face. We should be leading. We were the city set on a hill. We should be leading the world. We're not. And and that's not a power trip of mine. That's because God blessed this country. No other country in just a little over, well, I'll say 300 years, has done what we've done in the history of the world in 300 years. And look how we've fallen and left. And look, yeah, and... We're falling fast. We are on a slippery slope yep. downhill, and we're on a sled with grease rails. It's it's getting worse and worse and worse. And it's no longer America the beautiful, America the great. It's America the fallen. I love this country. I do not like where we're at. And it's my place. It's your place to be the voice in the wilderness, crying out repentance. That's the only thing that it'll take, is repentance. Does America have a chance? Oh yes, we're still breathing, we're still together, We've still, we're still on our feet, we've got a chance. And we're fixing the blow sideways. Yeah, yeah. We're split. We're going to, we're going to continue unless we turn to God. That's what it's going to take. But now, you've heard me say it multiple times. The country is the way the country is because the churches are the way the churches are. The churches are the way they are because the family is the way the family is. Amen. The family is the way the family is because the men are the way the men are. Ladies, I'm not sexist. But there's a hierarchy, and in my house, it stops with me. And it's my responsibility. Uh, who was it? Harry Truman, I think, had the sign on the desk that said, the buck stops here. Well, the buck stops with me. And it's my responsibility to lead my family. Am I? Am I leading them the way I should? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? for my family as a Christian father and as a Christian husband? That's not a question only I can answer with God's guidance. And I can assure you that at times I've done pretty decent, but at other times I've fallen flat on my face. I'm not perfect. I'm not going to tell you that I am. But we are where we're at because the families has went the way the families has went. There are horses, verse 8. Their horses also are swifter than the leopards and are more fierce than the evening wolves. And their horsemen shall spread themselves and their horsemen shall come from far. They shall fly as the eagle that hasteth to eat. Now imagine that description. Think about it. Leopards are pretty quick. When when they're when they're chasing their prey, 
A cheetah can run about 35 miles an hour. You can't outrun a cheetah. Leopards are right there at 30 to 35 themselves. A leopard and cheetah is a little different animal, but not much. Fierce than the evening wolves. Now, why would it be evening wolves and not midday wolves or e uh, morning wolves? Wolves come out and they hunt at night. That's the wolf's nature. They attack their prey. They attack their prey. They're nocturnal. So they're more fierce of an evening. By, the mid by morning and midday, midday especially, they're looking for a place to lay down and sleep. I wouldn't come back as a wolf. I could stay up all night. I like to sleep during the night. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but the Babylonians are described in a way that in biblical day it would have struck fear in anyone's heart. Everyone can relate to the quickness and the speed of the leopard. Today there are not many leopards in Israel, but in biblical times leopards were more populous and was known to attack people at times. Lions, you don't hear of lions in Israel any longer, but we know that lions were in Israel in the beginning. We also know that bears was in Israel at the beginning. Wolves, on the other hand, is certainly more populous. And in recent times, July of 2022, wolves were attacking campsite and taking pets and even tried to get infants. In the biblical days, wolves were also known in their howl as well as their attacks, especially at dusk when hunting by wolves were optimal. They were known and feared by the Israelites. We have coyotes here in our area. Yeah. And you can hear them at night, howling and carrying on and running through the woods and attacking their prey. Their horses or cavalry would come in fast from a lot of different directions. Now, this is the Babylonians. This is how the Babylonians fought. They would split their main force into multiple smaller forces, and they would attack almost simultaneously at just about every given direction. That was one of their tactics. Their horses or cavalry would come in fast from a lot of different directions, and they would come from long distance. Babylon, when it went to war, committed their entire military. If they had outposts somewhere, they pulled those outposts. If they was going to attack a country, their entire military was going to be involved in it or they wasn't going to be committed. Now, the, I wish I could remember which tribe it was, but there was a tribe of Native Americans that if they wanted to attack their enemy, the, the men would have to go to the women and say, hey, look, you know, we want to have a war. And if the women gave them provisions for their journey, corn, they could go to war. But if their women said, nah, I don't think so, and didn't give them food, they couldn't go to war. Babylon committed everything. Now, once that Native American tribe was given their food, they committed to it. They, they attacked in full force. They didn't split their military. They, didn't, they attacked. Babylon done the same thing. They would attack. They, they used their entire military force as a battering ram and just beat everybody into submission. And when they took over a piece of property, it wasn't pretty for the inhabitants of that property. They were not nice people 
uh, you can go back and study some of the Babylonian tactics. And it was, well, let's put it this way. If we fought war like they did, we would be against the Geneva Convention. And we would be up in charges of uh, war crimes. They were not nice. They were not pretty people. But they would commit to a large force, and often the Babylonian military would overwhelm their enemy in just sheer numbers. They were that large. Now, oftentimes, large numbers don't get you the victory. We see that happening throughout the history of the world. We see that throughout the history of the Bible. Gideon attacked with 300 people, 300, 350 people. They beat an army that was much larger. They asked Abraham Lincoln one time, said, uh, how large do you think the Confederate forces are? And he looked at them and he went, at least a million people. And his general went, what? whoa, 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 whoa. Why do you say that they're a million strong? Well, every time you get licked, you tell me you was outnumbered five to one. We got 200,000. So they have to have a million. Lincoln, of course, was joking, but a lot of times, sheer number doesn't, doesn't win the victory. It's the strategy of it. We won a lot of war, a lot of battles in World War II because we could outnumber we outnumbered the German tanks. Our tanks was inferior to the Germans, but we just had a lot more of them. We could get one blown up, we could put three in its place because we was turning them out so fast. And we just literally wore them down. Their tanks was much bigger and much heavier armored than ours. Their shells would not only penetrate, but would go literally through our tanks. Some of our younger tanks are at the first of the war. The shells would bounce off of the armor of the panzers because they just didn't have the power. But after a while, we throw out enough numbers, you know, you wear them down. But there were times when we were outnumbered. Uh, the city of Bastogne, the Battle of Bastogne, when 101st was surrounded by the Germans, we were significantly outnumbered, but the 101st held them off until Patton could come in. Now, if you ask Colonel McAfee, he never asked Patton to come in and rescue him. He didn't need him. But that's another story. So, but the Babylonians, they had such a huge number. And they fought in serious numbers. So they out, overwhelmed and outnumbered their enemy. And they were brutal. They took no prisoners. If they did, the prisoners was turned into slaves and was usually killed in forced labor. We think it was just recent technology and recent history that done that. Yeah, that's been going on for thousands of years. Verse nine, they shall come all for violence. Their faces shall sup up as the east wind and they shall gather the captivity as the sand. When the enemy comes in great numbers, they will capture individuals as easily as Someone scooping up sand in their hands. Go to the beach, reach down, pick up sand in your hands. I'm going to be there in just a few weeks, guys. And I'll be on the beach, and I'll be scooping up sand. 
and I'll be taking pictures of the sunrises, and hopefully I'll get a picture of the moonrise this time. I've been wanting to do that for years, but we'll see how that goes. But you can, they would scoop up their captives. The captives will be as numerous as the grains of sand in your hand. The enemy will come quickly. Their faces and their gaze will be set. In their mind's eye, they will see their victory, and they will see the celebration that follows. They never, failure was not an option. Defeat was never in their vocabulary. They didn't go into a military victory or a military battle going, uh, we might get whooped this time. No, they never thought that. They fought to the death. Surrender was not an option. We, we again, think that that's newer terms, and we think of the Japanese, and the, you know, they would kill themselves in ritual suicide if, before they would surrender. It's been going on also for thousands of years. They committed everything to the victory, to the battle, and they often planned their battle celebrations, their victory celebrations, before they ever went into battle. The, uh, the Greeks would say, I will come home on my shield or carrying my shield. Either I'm going to be carried because I've given it all and I'm dead, or I'm going to come home the victor. But there is no other options. We are not going to turn. We're not going to retreat. We're not going to run. We're going to stand and slug it out even down to the last person. That's the Babylonians' thought process. Used to be modern America, or used to be America. We'd slug it out until we was down to the very last little bit. Okinawa, Iwo Jima, the Ryan, Britain, or not Britain, but uh, Normandy. We would slug it out until the very, very last. I don't know anymore. I really don't know. The rules of engagement has definitely changed since the days of Vietnam. They could shoot at us from across the border, but we couldn't return fire across the border. We've got the same rules of engagement in Mexico, in Texas, around the Rio Bravo, or the Rio Grande. We've got that same rules of engagement. They can shoot at us from Mexico, but we can't shoot back from America. Now, if they're on our soil, we used to be able to, but my son was shot from Mexico. Fortunately, they hit his uh, armored plated uh, flat jacket or his vest, his bulletproof vest. They shot him in the vest, and he survived, but they shot him from Mexico. He could not return fire because that is not the rules of engagement. He was shot three times in the chest in his vest. We don't have the same rules of engagement that we used to. I can't it don't make sense to me. I can't imagine General George S. Patton <laughs> or Douglas MacArthur. <laughs> Never. Admiral Nymphs. I can't imagine these clowns fighting under that rules of engagement. They would they would they'd pull theirs out first. Patton being shot at from somewhere. Oh, we can't shoot back, boys. We just got to stand here and take it. No, that ain't going to happen. Patton's going to destroy you. That was his motto. 
he literally believed that it was his job to make the other person die. That was his belief. I'm not. I'm not glorifying George Patton. Don't get me wrong. But that was that was their mindset. Love and war. Yeah. MacArthur. MacArthur got mad when he had to leave the Philippines. He came back with a bigger force and took them back. When he left and he said, "I will return. I will come back." He really meant it. Admiral Nimps, one of the guys that helped orchestrate Midway. It was a slugfest. I don't know if you've ever studied the Battle of Midway. We shouldn't have won. My brother and I, who was just recently with us here in, in the Carolinas, he and I would sit around and discuss it. One, we shouldn't have never fought at Midway because it wasn't really a strategic location. Two, we shouldn't have never won, but we just stood there and, and, and slugged it out with them. Can you imagine? Oh, well, no, I'm sorry. We can't shoot. No, that ain't going to happen. And when they find out you can't shoot, they They're, advance. They advance they and they take advantage, they advantage they of take it. Advantage, yes, sir. Verse 10, and we'll stop here. We'll discuss verse 10, but we will stop at that point. And they shall scoff at the kings, and the princes shall be a scorn unto them. They shall deride every stronghold, for they shall heap dust and take it. Leaders of countries will not worry them. They will mock them and overthrow them. Fortifications will be nothing for them. They will overrun them and destroy the cities. Babylon was not nice, and they did not fight nice. I'm getting to be an older individual, and I've told multiple people, fight me, I fight dirty. Okay, I'm to the point where I, I don't heal as fast as I used to, so I am going to go down fighting dirty. I will fight you dirty, dirty. Babylon believed that from the get-go. They fought dirty. We can't, I can't overestimate, nor can I underestimate their ability of war, though, because Babylon was the superpower when Nebuchadnezzar was around. He was the man. Everybody knew Nebuchadnezzar, and everybody was afraid of him. I don't know of a world leader right now that the world's afraid of. Putin, possibly, but the world's looking at him like, you're just crazy, dude. Sit down and shut up. Xi Ping or Xi whatever his name is of China, the world's looking at him going, you're an idiot. I don't know that the world is afraid of these people. They just believe that they're stupid. He doesn't have the ability to fight war beyond just a few miles of his border. Now, if he ever got the ability to fight war, if he had the delivery system, he claims he does, but he doesn't. The world might be afraid of him because he's crazy. But is he in power? I begin to believe it may be his sister that's calling the shots over there, and she's really insane. So she wants the power. She wants the power. She's hungry. But she's not a man, and that's there. It's a man thing. It's yeah, a man she's thing. It's a man, it's a man thing. She's going to change that. I think she may be waiting for brother to pass, and yeah. she's going to make her move. I mean, she's on the world stage already. She goes to all the places that he should be going to. She goes. Because the, he she knows that. Her presence be dogged. 
he knows that they can't bully her. He might be swayed, but he's she's not going to be bullied. She's not going to be swayed. She's hammered down and bound. Now, she would be a concern. I'll be honest with you. She would be a concern. I don't know if anybody else in this world, though, is a real concern. It's too bad we don't have anybody in the United States that we could say they would straighten our country up. We don't have anybody. No, There's not no politically or not militarily. One of our last great military leaders retired recently. Um, I really like this guy. I thought he was uh, Ray Ordinero, four-star general. He was Who? one of the last, Ray Ordinero, he was one of the last greats, in my personal opinion. He was in charge of Iraq. Uh, I had a good friend that worked with him, as a matter of fact. So, yeah, I may be a little biased, in my opinion, towards General Ordinero, but... Uh, I don't know too much about him. Not many people do. Uh -huh. um, and I wouldn't have known had my son not been Iraq and my friend not worked for him. But, yeah, I, I truly believe General Ordinero was one of the last greats. Any questions or comments? Let's go to the Lord in prayer and close him, and we will see you all next week, for those of you that can be here. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house to worship, to praise, and to honor your name. Lord, we ask that you'll move, that you'll touch. Lord, that you'll bless the musicians, and let that be especially pleasing unto your ears, Lord. Lord, that you'll anoint the lips of the messenger as he endeavors to bring forth your message. And Lord, touch and deliver to our ears and anoint our ears that message, Lord, that we can keep it in our hearts and not sin against thee. In Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen.